Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4. We're going to look at two verses here in Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 20 and 21. Solomon writing here, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Father, once again, we're thankful for our opportunity to be together. Thank you for this time and place. And now we pray that you bless our time together as we look to your word, speak to hearts, help us to see the truths that you want us to see tonight. We thank you for this wonderful book of Proverbs and the wisdom that you've shared with us. And we pray that you would help us to be folks who take advantage of the opportunity to have godly wisdom. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer of Proverbs gave a careful description of wise living. His statements about wisdom reflect a conviction that truth must not be confined to the mind or to the scrolls of the law. God's truth is vibrant, pulsating, and relevant. We must interpret our circumstances in the light of his truth, and we must let the truth influence our decisions and guide our conduct. We need to live by the truth of the word of God. And so the first thing we want to talk about tonight is the personal assimilation of God's word. Personal assimilation of God's word. Now Solomon urged his son to become personally acquainted with these proverbs. He implored him to heed them, verse 20 of our text, and to focus his attention on them and to keep them in his heart, in verse 21. As a portion of God's inspired word, the book of Proverbs deserved a prominent place in the life of Solomon's son, and in the life of every believer. Hold your place there in Proverbs 4. I want you to go over to Psalm 119. Now, of course, we know Psalm 119, the whole psalm, basically, is about the Word of God. And... uh, In verse 9, we find this written, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Here in Psalm 119, the writer certainly concerned with Solomon about the wisdom of studying not just studying, but applying the Word of God. And in verse 9, he testifies about the Scripture, that the Scripture has a curative effect on life. Although all believers are subject to temptation, the believer occasionally succumbs to temptation. The Word of God points the way to recovery. How is that? Hiding the Word of God in our heart. 
And of course, that brings the preventive effect of the word of God. If we study the word diligently, our ability to discern temptation expands and our ability to withstand temptation increases. Now listen, every one of us face temptations. We don't all face the same temptations, but we all face temptations and we have to deal with them. And the, way we, the best way to deal with temptations is the way our Lord did when he was tempted over Matthew chapter 4, and he rebuked the devil using the word of God. That's why it's so important that we hide the word of God in our hearts so when we need it, we have it available to refute temptations and fight temptations. Now, the writer of Psalm 119 also meditated on God's word. He said in verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Now, this, uh, the psalmist, and we believe it's probably David, um, viewed the meditation of the word of God as an integral step in the process of linking God's word to daily living. Now, when he's uh, talking about meditation, uh, he's not talking about uh, just putting your mind in neutral and, and chanting and that kind of thing in meditation. Uh, biblical meditation, in biblical meditation, the mind is active, focusing upon the meaning of the passage and considering its implications. In other words, biblical meditation is mulling over what you've read, thinking about it and seeing how it applies. And that's what we have to do if we're going to win the battle of temptation. Now, the second thing we want to see tonight, and this is where your paper is going to come in, I think, is the guarantee of our salvation. I'm sorry, that's not right. Hold on. Okay, we got it. Now, we're going to talk about, we, we, we looked at the personal assimilation of God's word. Every individual has to do that for themselves. That's why we have read through your Bible in a year. By the way, the sign-up sheets are back there. If you're planning on reading through your Bible in this coming year, uh, get signed up so we can get you on the chart. If you, if you completed uh, your reading for 2019, make sure your chart's checked up to date because we'll soon be making the certificates but it's up to every individual to assimilate the Word of God into your heart and into your life. Nobody can do that for you. That's something you have to do for yourself. And it's very important that we do that. And then the second thing we're going to see is a personal application of the Word of God. Proverbs 4, verse 22 says this. Let me get back to Proverbs 4. Verse 22, and it's talking about the Proverbs themselves. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. So Proverbs 4.22 affirms the loyalty to God's, that loyalty to God's word produces positive effects. That verse states, for they, that's the Proverbs, are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. In Proverbs and in the rest of Scripture, we find exhortations to do something with the truth beyond simply knowing it. How many times have I said knowing is not enough? It's not just a matter of assimilating a bunch of biblical knowledge. 
It's a matter of learning how to take that biblical knowledge and make application of it in our lives. In the Proverbs, the rest of Scripture, exhortations do something with the truth beyond simply knowing it. We also find clear, practical benefits from a study of, of and a loyalty to the Scripture. And here are some of the benefits that we're going to talk about tonight. The first one is a guarantee of our salvation. How, how do you know that God's going to save you? We base it on the Word of God, don't we? We have the promises of the Word of God. If, if some unsaved person said to you, how do you know you're going to heaven? You say you're going to heaven. What do you tell them? Well, I just think I will. No. You say, well, the Bible tells me that I have eternal life. So in the Bible is where we get our guarantee of salvation. The Scriptures guarantee it, and the the scriptures guarantee our salvation from the power and the penalty of sin. I talked Sunday a little bit about being delivered from the power of sin. For the unsaved person, sin has dominion over them. That's according to Romans chapter 6. That means sin is their taskmaster. They have to obey sin. But when you get saved, you get set free. If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And now we're free from sin. We don't have to sin anymore. Now, that don't mean we never sin. But it means when we do, we do it on purpose. Ooh. Yeah. See, now we don't have to. If we, if we sin, it's because we've chosen to do that. And uh, the Bible tells us that. Proverbs begins with the assumption that Solomon's son was a child of God. And this assumption is reflected in his statements about the fear of the Lord. Uh, in Proverbs 1.7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in uh, chapter 2 and verse 5, Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then in chapter 3 and verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So Solomon makes these statements about the fear of the Lord, and he urges his son to obey the scriptures, thereby proving that he knew the Lord. The apostle John wrote to New Testament believers in Jesus Christ and wrote this. Here's what John said. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2 and verse 3. One that, listen, I have a message I preach on five different things that, um, five facts about your salvation or truths about your salvation. Anyway, it's out of 1 John, and it's five different things in 1 John that indicate to us that we're truly saved. And uh, one of them is what we're talking about here uh, living by the Word of God. Now, let me read that verse again for you. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Listen, one of the ways I know I'm saved is now I, I strive to try to keep the commandments of the Lord. When I was not saved, I didn't give a rip about keeping the commandments of the Lord. I wasn't concerned about living for God. But because I'm saved, now I have that in my heart, 
And that's one of the testimonies that helped me to know, well, I have been saved. I have been born again. Assurance of being right with God eludes those who believe they have to earn salvation by good works or keep it by faithfully following a prescribed list of duties. Listen, when you're involved in a work salvation, you never really have that assurance. You're always concerned about, have I done enough? Hmm? And we don't, we don't have to worry about that because there's not anything we do. All we do is receive the gift uh, that God has given us through his grace. It's not based on what we do. We don't have to do enough. It's based on what he did for us and offers us. 1 John 5, 11 through 13 indicates that the apostle John wrote 1 John so we could know that we have eternal life. Uh, go over there for a minute, 1 John 5. Verses 11 through 13. John says, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So once again, how do we know we're saved? Well, number one, by keeping his commandments that's, uh, and wanting to do so. And then by the testimony of the word of God. The word know there in, in 1 John 5.13 has the idea of being intuitive, if you will, rather than experiential. Uh, that intuitive has the idea of being settled in our mind. And I'm glad we can be settled in our mind on our salvation. It's a wonderful thing to know. Uh, when I step out of this life, and one day we're all going to die, we know that. But it's a wonderful thing to know that when that happens, there's not any doubt about where I'm going. And it's all based on the word of God. Our confidence about salvation rests in the unchanging, authoritative statements of God's word. So we see the security or guarantee of our salvation is one of the blessings of the word. Another thing is the gauge of our sanctification. The gauge of our sanctification the scriptures are the gauge of our sanctification. The better we know and apply biblical truth, the more productive and Christ-like our lives are going to be. Mm, let me say that one again. The better we know and apply biblical truth, the more productive and Christ-like we're going to be. Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father in John 17, 17, and he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctification means being set apart. And when we talk about Christian sanctification, there's actually two sanctifications we deal with. One is a positional sanctification. What I mean by that is when we get saved, God sets us apart. 
for him. We're his. We're sanctified. That's a positional sanctification. But there is also a practical sanctification, and that's when we set ourselves aside for the Lord and live for him. You got that? Sanctification. But the gauge of our sanctification, how sanctified are you? How sold out to the Lord are you? How do we measure that? Against the word of God. Hmm? Are we living by the principles and precepts in the word of God? Somebody said this, like a mirror, the book of Proverbs accurately reflects our spiritual condition. By rehearsing the differences between wisdom and foolishness, Solomon enabled us to see ourselves precisely as God sees us. So you want to see how, how, how you measure up in this sanctification thing, measure it against the word of God. So it's the gauge of our sanctification. Then the next thing, it's our goad to maturity. The scriptures are a goad to maturity. As Solomon taught his son, he challenged him to become spiritually mature. In chapter 4, verses, verse 22, the words life and health. In Proverbs 4, verse 22, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Uh, those two words relate to a vigorous, strong, mature style of living. Throughout this book of Proverbs, Solomon steered his son away from foolish, immature attitudes and conduct. Boy, all through the book, you see him warning his son about foolish and immature attitudes and conduct. He applauded the disciplined life. Boy, is that ever so true. I, you can't read the book of Proverbs and not come away with understanding that there's, there's to be a disciplined life. And uh, Solomon shows that to his son and the pursuit of wisdom and the commitment to obey God. Following several Proverbs highlight the place and value of wisdom as a means to maturity. And uh, we don't have time to look at all of these, but chapter 2, verses 10 through 20. Um, just look there for a minute. He writes, When wisdom enter in, entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man and from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forget the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous, walking in wisdom. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, we don't have time to read all that, but uh, you, you see it there in verses 31 through 35 in chapter 3. And then chapter 8, verses 33 through 36, chapter 10, 1 through 10, chapter 11, 27 to 31, chapter 12, 
uh, verse 15, chapter 13, 14 and through 17, chapter 14, 15 through 18, chapter 15, 1 through 5, chapter 19, 1 and 28, uh, and chapter 28, verse 26. Those are all references to wisdom and getting wisdom and the application of wisdom in the Christian's life, growth and maturing. One of the goals, one of the greatest desires, if you will, that you find Solomon had for his son is that he would mature and, and not, not be a foolish son. And uh, the Bible says so much about contrasting the fool and, and the wise. And uh, so, many, so many good points on that. Well, then, let's see what else it is. It's a guard against sin. The Scriptures guard us against sin. The book of Proverbs challenges us often to be wise, to fear the Lord, and to avoid evil. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 11 that Israel's experiences provide lessons for the church. He says over there that the things of the Old Testament that we read are in samples to us that we can learn thereby. The Old Testament and the New Testament has many examples for us, many of them that we're to avoid and many of them that we're to follow. If we exercise the wisdom commended in Proverbs, we'll be alert to temptation and prepared to defend ourselves against it. Paul's list of the armor over in Ephesians 6 assigns a prominent role to the Scripture. He wrote there in Ephesians 6, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, this is the only weapon we really have. Everything else is defensive. The only offensive weapon that we have is the Word of God. And we need to take the Word of God. And that word there in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the word uh, word refers to the specific sayings of the Scriptures. In other words, when Satan tempts us, we ought to defend ourselves by employing specific words of memorized Scripture. How are you doing with that? When, when the enemy's working on you, trying to drag you away, what do you have to throw at him? Hmm? Oh, I know, you memorize Scripture. Jesus wept. That's not going to get you very far. Hmm? We're to hide the word in our heart, and that means more than one verse. I'm thinking about a fella. God bless him, he's gone now. He's home in heaven. But at some point in his, his Christian life, he, uh, he memorized a verse. And that was good. As a young Christian, he memorized this verse. I remember when he did it. And he repeated it to me. And he, hey, I memorized this verse. That's good. But you know, from that day forward, every time we got to talking and he wanted to show us that he memorized scripture. That's the verse he gave us, same verse. I don't know. I wonder if maybe that's the only verse he ever memorized. How about you? Hmm? We need to hide the word in our heart. 
and that has to do with memorizing. I know it's not easy to memorize, and let me share this with you young people. The older you get, the harder it gets. Do it while you're young, believe me. Hmm? Well, we need to memorize, and uh, that's our guard against sin. Solomon repeatedly challenged his son to remember the words he had taught him. He pleaded with him to remember his words of instruction. He instructed his son to resist the temptation to act foolishly, to steal, to commit adultery, to lie, or to deceive. We find all those things that Solomon says you ought not to be doing. He's advising his son. And remember, Solomon is writing to his son in Proverbs, trying to give his son wisdom. And, of course, God had him do that, and, and we, we benefit from what he did for his son. And then it's also this. It's the governor of our behavior. How do you know what's right and what's wrong? Well, I call the preacher and ask him. No. No, you, you, you measure it by the word of God. What does the Bible say about it? Hmm? God has established the scripture as a governor of our behavior. Moses taught the Israelites they were to live under the superintendence of the word of God over in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. Go over there for a minute. About everybody ought to be able to find Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Phoenicus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And chapter 8. And here's Moses giving instruction. Chapter 8 and verse 3. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Here's Moses, and he taught the Israelites they were to live under the superintendence of the word of God. And then later in the New Testament, is that what Jesus said to the devil when he tempted him? He quoted that verse right back to the enemy. In his second letter to young pastor Timothy, Paul wrote this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished for every good work. Go, go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 3 and verse 16. You there? All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, 
if we were to paraphrase that, we could well say that God has designed his word to address every aspect of our lives. Scripture is the very thing we need in four different areas. Number one, for doctrine. Well, what's doctrine? That's positive instruction. We need doctrine. Where do we get our doctrine? We don't get it from the Pope. Do you, do you realize the Catholic Church gets a lot of their doctrine from the Pope? In the Catholic Church, if, if the Pope and the Bible disagree, the Pope wins. That's not where we get our doctrine. We get our doctrine from the Word of God. This book is the sole source of authority for our faith and our practice. Our doctrine must come from the Word of God. And then for reproof. What is reproof? Well, it's confronting wrong behavior. Mm-mm-mm. That's why every once in a while when you come to church and the preacher preaches, whether it's me or a guest preacher or whatever, uh, all of a sudden you get your toes stepped on. Well, what is that? That's reproof. The Holy Spirit came plowing down your row that day and reproved you for something in your life. Reproof is, is, is confronting wrong behavior. So the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and then for correction. Well, what's that have to do with? That's replacing wrong behavior with correct behavior. So how do we learn how to do right? We read the word of God. And then finally, instruction in righteousness. That's training to ensure appropriate behavior and spiritual maturity. We need the Word of God, and it's profitable for these four areas. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And then we find that it's the granting of grace in times of trouble. I hope your Bible's precious to you. And I hope you've had those moments where you were hurting and and you needed, you needed something from the Lord, and you opened the Bible, and there it was. Hmm. Granting of grace in times of trouble. The Scriptures are a source of grace in times of crisis. Who hasn't benefited from God's Word in a time of great difficulty? Proverbs, like so many books of the Bible, provides encouragement when we face crisis. Proverbs 3 presents a number of real-life situations for which God's Word gives grace in times of need. Listen, friend, <clears throat> there's no friend like the Word of God, friend. Mm. I remember I was making a visit to Brother Cliff. You remember Brother Cliff in Gastonia. He was in the hospital in Charlotte, and uh, we went down there to see him. And uh, when we got in there, he was all upset and, and really disturbed with what was going on and, and things. And, and uh, I said, Brother Cliff, let me read some scripture. And I read some scripture to him, and, you know, we could just see him calm right now. The Word of God can do that for you. Mm -hmm. And when you're, when you're depressed and despondent, go over the book of Psalms and just start reading Psalms. Hmm. 
The Word of God can do that for you. Well, one more thing. It's the guide in decision-making. I mentioned earlier, how do you know if it's right or wrong? Now, we've got a world out there that says, you decide what's right and what's wrong. You're your own God. You're your own boss. Uh, you make your own rules and standards. And so whatever you think is right is right. Whatever you think is wrong is wrong. That's why the homosexuals are, are, are pushing their, their agenda on us because they think it's right. They think it's okay. Well, no, God said it's wrong. The abortionist is carrying out their abortions, and they think they're right. Women parading around saying, we have, we have the right to govern what happens with our body. Well, absolutely you do. But once you get pregnant, now it's not just your body. Now it's two people, not one person. And that's not just fetal tissue. That's a human life. But why, why do we say those things are wrong? Because we found it in the Word of God. Hmm? And there are so many things we could cite where we, we know the, the Bible shows us the right way. I was thinking of this. Go over to Proverbs 20 and verse 1. I heard recently somebody, somebody made the statement, there's nothing in the Bible against drinking alcoholic beverages. Look at Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I think that's pretty clear. Now, that's not the only verse. I mean, there's a lot of other verses we could cite about it. But listen, that, that settled the score for me right off. That's enough for me to say, hey, God says I shouldn't drink that stuff. Hmm? But the world says, and, and listen, I'm really concerned about a lot of Christians nowadays are saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with a beer once in a while or having a little bit of wine with your dinner. Really? Let's read Proverbs 20, verse 1 again. <laughs> No, 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 a thousand times no. Listen. Proverbs exalts the word of God as the source of knowledge and wisdom. It guides the decisions of the wise rather than the foolish. It helps us choose our friends. Hmm? It helps us to abstain from intoxicating beverages. It helps us to use our money wisely to build a strong family, social, and business relationships. The Bible teaches us so much on how to live. It's to be our guide. There's, <clears throat> there's too many Christians today who want to say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I just, here's my opinion. <clears throat> no. Doesn't matter what your opinion is. What does the Bible say? And that's one thing I love about the book of Proverbs. It's filled with practical wisdom that we can plug into our lives. Not only that we can, but we should plug in to our lives.
So if I can encourage you, get your nose in the book of Proverbs. And, and don't just read them, think about them. Some of them you got to think a little bit to get the gist of what's, what's being said. Others are very plain right up front. No doubt about what's being said. But some others you have to think just a little bit. But that's what meditation's about. Say amen. Yeah. Meditating on the word of God. Father, we thank you for this blessed book. Thank you for what it can and does do when we study it. And we know we're supposed to live by it. This is what you've given us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Help us to be students of your word, and especially of this book of Proverbs. You've offered it to us that we might, we might ascertain godly wisdom. And we'll only be fools if we don't take advantage of it. Help us in this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.